0: Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to uh, Saturday. Good morning. Hope you have your coffee ready. Good afternoon. Good, and good evening. Good evening. And good night. That was a Truman Show. Did you ever see that movie? I did. Yep. I, it felt
1: I, like the Matrix, but in a more family-friendly kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, I didn't see. Yeah. I mean, just fascinating, right? To to be, there, there's probably, you could probably, if we were one of those churches, preach on the Truman Show.
1: <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. Let's not. But you could. Well, right. Elon Musk says that there's a, I don't know, a high chance that we're living in a simulation. So not too different from Truman.
0: You know, I've heard that, and I've even heard that from some college students who uh, threw that back and and said, "Well, what if that's the case? What is that? What are the implications for the gospel if that's the case?" Define simulation. Well, I, uh, yeah, and, and I think traditionally we mean like this is one potential, you know, outcome or or existence that could take place, but but that's all it is. There's a there's some there's a game designer, there's a simulation designer, an architect outside of all of this that is is has pushed play and we're simply inside and we don't have the consciousness to be able to know that, that that's
1: all happening outside. Couldn't you just say then that there's a God who made things and put us in a story and we're in his story. I mean, it's the same, same kind of idea. I mean, it's the, the, they're, they're vaguely <laughs> related, but how different is that? Why is that so much more feasible than saying, Hey, God made us, right? And there's a story that he's writing and we're in the story and we're in act three of his story called the story of redemption creation fall redemption consummation we're in act three and and it's going to be wrapped up in the fourth act when jesus returns
0: right and and uh, the other thing too is okay we're in a simulation here here's the thing if you want to win this simulation you need to (laughs) repent and put your trust in jesus as your savior that's how you want up. that's that's what's at stake here right like that's
1: That's what, what we need to do. I don't like entertaining weird theories like that. Cause how could you ever prove or disprove it? It's one of those, okay, I guess it's, it's possible. Is it possible? Yes. But is it, is it probable that's a different question? And if it were probable to what degree would the probability be like we talking about one in 10 million here. And if so, if we're talking about something that's so improbable and impossible to prove, at what point is it, is it even helpful to, to discuss things? I guess it's helpful enough for us to talk about it on the podcast, but okay. But uh, let's, let's flip the script on this though,
0: because th- this is something that, that I've been thinking about and, and has oh. come up and in some conversations, oh, I mean, been, not simulate Train through this, huh? No. Okay. Yeah. But what do we do with, cause there are heavy things that are biblical things that are hard to wrestle with as Christians. Okay. Just let's, let's just take an example of, um, Eschatology, right? Eschatology is hard. It's difficult to, to wrap our minds around that. Um, and and let's even think about eschatology and you know having our families. And we've we've talked about you know age of accountability, things like that. But but let's talk about families where you've got kids that are old enough to have made a decision about Christ. They haven't made a decision about Christ yet. So the the believer who's having to wrestle with hard things, deep things about the end times and Christ's return. And, and that that's hard and it, it can create some anxiety within us too what should we do then is that is that a situation for us to say okay well let me focus on other areas or should we still lean into some of these harder things when it comes to Christianity even though man it, it may make me uncomfortable or how do we deal with that how do we navigate those those realms um,
1: in a, a helpful fashion so I think there's there's there are things that are baseless foundations that it's like, well, hey, let's just use your imagination and imagine the most obscure, ridiculous kind of scenario, and and here we are. That's uh, the simulation theory. When it comes to things that are biblical and yet less clear to us, those are those are productive conversations. Now, there are unproductive conversations that you could have related to genealogies and myths and things like that that Paul tells Timothy and Titus to avoid. But when it comes to things that are hard, that's different than th- things that are obscure right. and have little to no value. So when it comes to those other things, I think those are fun conversations because there's enough biblical data to really iron some stuff out.
0: But if it, if it's something that causes me anx- anxiety, right? If, it, if it's something that I'm like, okay, man, thinking about end times and Christ's return and I've got five kids. And, and that makes me nervous because man, I want my kids to be with me. And what if he comes back before they're saved? And so studying the end times, man, that, that really causes me to feel nervous and to feel uncomfortable. Is it still a good thing for me to do that? Do I have to do that? Do, is there an imperative for us to wrestle with the deeper, harder issues, or is it okay for us to focus more on the here and now type issues? As long as we're responsible to say, man, I'm, I'm not going to bury my head in the sand. I want to make sure I'm pointing my kids to Jesus, but man, to think about his return makes me uncomfortable right now.
1: I think there's a biblical imperative for us to engage with all of scripture, and so I would say while it doesn't require you to be a hundred percent devoted in your time to think through eschatology, but I do think there's a there's a, an inherent goodness to saying we should lean into things that make us uncomfortable i mean that's when you're working out you don't only lift three pound weights, you lift heavy weights because yeah. you want to get stronger, you run faster, you try to beat your time. You challenge yourself in order to grow yourself. And I think the same is true when it comes to our approach of the to, to theology and to scripture itself. You read broadly so that you can understand more. You study deeply so that you can understand more. You, all these things are, I think, are, are necessary. What would you say to that?
0: Yeah, and I, I think also it helps us to appreciate God's godness in our creatureliness, if I can put it that way. Get that. Um, he's God and we're not. And we are time and time again going to be brought up against things that make us uncomfortable. In fact, we, we were talking about that before one of our recent podcast episodes. We're going to be hitting some difficult things in in the book of Ezekiel. Hey, don't give out. it away, man. I'm not. I'm not going to give it away. But th- there's difficult things coming up in Ezekiel that cause us to scratch our heads and say, God, I, I, I don't I, understand I don't understand this. Um, I And even, God, I, I I do understand. I don't like it. And I don't want to understand it. Right. I don't like <laughs> it. Um, and so y- sometimes... The, the harder things, the things that can produce that reaction in us or anxiety or whatever it may be, can cause us to fall back into the arms of faith and say, okay, I, I don't know if I fully understand. I don't know that I'm comfortable. I'm not comfortable, but I'm going to choose to believe it because you're God and I'm not. And that's part of that idea that that we maintain a high view of God. Um, he is not us. His ways are not our ways. And uh, and we have to eventually kind of let faith engage where uh, our intellect and our emotional
1: capabilities uh, fall short. If I had God's power, I would do everything different. If I had God's wisdom, wisdom I'd keep everything the same. Mm. Is that's, that you or is that somebody else? Uh, no, somebody else. But they, they I said it better than they did. Though. Okay. So basically mine. <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. That was them. I don't know who said that. That's awesome. No, that's helpful. That's helpful. Well, let's jump
0: into Ezekiel 17, 18, 19. Gone are the days of one chapter. <laughs> So I hope you enjoyed <laughs> no more. it. Now we get three chapters. The rest of the year? Okay. Are we doing multiple chapters? No, probably not. In fact, uh, for sure not, because there's a couple books that we've got in front of us that are... Oh, yeah, they're one-chapter chapter. books, yeah. Yeah. Well, chapter 17, we get this parable of these two eagles and a vine. Um, yeah.
1: I'm going to take a break. Go for it, bro.
0: Okay. Yeah. The, there's a couple of things that, that we know. The, the eagles, one, one of the eagles is Babylon. We know that one of the, the this, this Parts of the vine is Zedekiah, um, the final king of Judah. And, And here's what we need to know. And here's what you need to know as this parable unfolds. Ezekiel is once again depicting the downfall of Jerusalem. He's depicting what's coming, what's going to happen. That the, the eagle is going to come. That the vine is going to, going to end up being uh, destroyed. And in, in Zedekiah, it was was really the more you look at Ezekiel, and I think Ezekiel develops this more than than we even see in the the historical books accounts. Zedekiah was was just not a good dude. He was just a, a bad guy all the way around, and and he ends up. Um, being the, the final Davidic king here, and uh, and things don't go well, and yet again the end of the the chapter seventeen somewhat similar to sixteen though less clear than sixteen. There's still hope because there's going to be um, uh, this this future hope of an another branch so to speak, the sprig from the lofty cedar uh, that would be uh, the future hope of the, the the coming king that would be the better king than we have. In Zedekiah, and God was going to, uh, or is going to, rather uh, establish him, and all the people will know again that he is the Lord uh, during that day, and that's a future hope of Israel. That's the millennial kingdom that we're looking forward to. But this parable is about the the impending downfall
1: of Jerusalem again. No one can say, "Oh, I didn't know." Right? God's going out of his way to say it in multiple ways: shock and awe. Illustrations, vivid analogies, this is this is what Jesus did essentially when he told his parables. he's trying to get attention by utilizing all the tools of the trade, which is what pastors do, and when we're preaching, we try our best to incorporate all the different tools in our tool belt to bring the point uh, to, bring, to bring the point home. And God still does this. He speaks through, like this through creation, through faithful preachers of the word. Um, God God does a lot to get our attention.
0: He does, he does, and if he's been pulling at you to get your attention, listen, right? Like that's, that's one of the things I think of so often A sound in, counsel. Yeah. In preaching is, you know, Hey, if, if you're here and, and you're an unbeliever and you know that you're here as an unbeliever and, and you're hearing the gospel laid out and calls to faith and repentance, like, like, let's go, let's, let's do this. And I know it's much bigger than that, but man, listen to the Lord. When the Lord pulls, when the Lord speaks, cause you never know when the last time is going to be before mm-hmm. Romans one, he says, okay, and turns you over. Yeah. Uh, chapter 18 then gets into this protest uh, that is uh, objected to here where they say, well, this isn't the the Israelites do. This isn't about us. This is about our parents. This is about our, our former generations, and, and we're being held accountable for something that they did. And in Chapter 18, basically, the, the, the thrust of this chapter is, uh, no, you're going to die for your sins. And yeah. that's the repeated theme in here. This is not just about former generations did the former generations rebel yes did they do what was wrong yes but you israel you're going to die for your sins and that's what
1: the the main content of this chapter 18 is about why do you think they thought that god would punish them for prior generation sins
0: what comes to mind is just that the the Mosaic covenant was delivered to the prior generations and the the threats for blessings for obedience and and cursings for disobedience there were given to preceding generations. And so they may have thought, man, so much distance has taken place between the Mosaic covenant and where we are. It's really about them. It's not about us. We didn't hear those things. Uh, It was on them. In fact, you know, for a long time, the law was even lost. And so can we
1: really be held accountable
0: to this? Because we weren't,
1: we weren't there. So there's a, there's a popular idea that floats around generational curses. Um, It's not in every circle, obviously, but I think of Exodus 34. That's what came to my mind, where you have the famous, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will will by no means clear the guilty, and here's the problematic phrase, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. How do we reconcile... I mean, they're not competing, they're not working against each other, but it seems like God is saying two things here. Exodus 18, we say, God's saying, no, the soul who sins shall die. And yet Exodus 34, um, Ezekiel 18, Exodus 34 says, it seems like God's going to punish future generations for the iniquity of the fathers.
0: Yeah, I think there's, we can trace this all the way back to original sin. Um, When you think about the sin of Adam, which has spread to all mankind, because in Adam all sinned, there's a, a sense that that drilled down on a, a micro level in family to family, there are sins that are witnessed by children when they see them in their parents and that there are behaviors that are learned by children when they witness these behaviors in their parents that are sinful behaviors. And I think there's, there's a, 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 a tendency, a uh, predisposal to perpetuate those sins. Um, you see that mm. uh, in the counseling office all the time. When, when you've got husbands that are, are, that that don't know how to communicate well with their wives. Well, it's because they watched a dad that didn't know how to communicate with their mom growing up. And right. you've got abusive situations that sometimes go from generation to generation. But the important thing to remember here is they're not dying for the sins of their fathers. They may have th- those sins passed on from generation to generation, but there's ownership of that succeeding generation of their own guilt, of their own sins, because they are ultimately accountable for their own sins, uh, though those sins may be generational in that sense. Amen of that. Chapter 19. Uh, yeah. Well, let me back up to, to chapter 18 real quick, though, because to balance all of that, lest we think that God is just saying, you've sinned, you're going to die. Uh, here, there still is the, the concept of repentance. If you repent, you will live. I mean, God makes it plain to the people. They're saying, this is not fair. And God is saying, look, you're going to die because you're unrepentant. That's why you're going to die. If you repent you will live Mm -hmm. and that's the offer today still um right i mean we when you look at people and their sin it's hey you're gonna die for your sin but there's hope if you repent you'll live you'll live chapter 19 then is is a difficult chapter because it's difficult to know by these references to the princes who specifically is in view um but what we do know is that this was a lament from the prophet for the downfall of Judah's royalty, for the downfall of the Davidic dynasty. Um, and it, when you get into verses 10 and following, it seems there that it is more specifically focused on Zedekiah's failures as the last Davidic king, that he is this stem in verse 10 or verse 12, as it's put. Um, but this is a, a chapter just lamenting the complete downfall of the 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 Davidic dynasty uh, from what it should have been to what it was as uh, Babylon was laying
1: siege to the the city walls there. Serious stuff, man. God pays attention to the leaders. He, he gives special attention to those who are called to be the example, the models, the ones who are to set the pace for everybody else. And when they fail, it's almost guaranteed the rest of the society is going to fall. Which is, again, you've heard me say it before, but I'm going to say it again. Please pray for us yeah. as your pastors. If we are your pastors, please pray for us. Yeah, We don't want this to happen to us. And we're not so foolish as to think, oh, it could never happen that it to could us. Never, yeah. No, we know that we're products of grace, and we need you to pray for that. Speaking of which, that's a great transition to
0: our New Testament chapter in chapter 13 of Hebrews.
1: That is a great transition. Thank you.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's that's very clearly here, um, wherein we are called... Uh, as the leaders of the church here, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account Ooh. that send a chill down your spine. Y- you want to know what keeps pastors up at night? There's a lot, but this is one of the things, Ranger right? games, Ranger games. Yeah. Accountability. Yeah. Um, no, th- this is, this is, uh, one of the, and, and here's a, an argument for, Uh, Defined membership in a church right is that we as pastors need to know those souls that we are accountable for Um, And and this is this can be pressed too far admittedly But there's a a sense in which if you're part of our church and you're listening to this podcast Then pastor rod and I are accountable for shepherding you But the pastor of the church down the street is not accountable for your soul because you're not a part of his flock or your podcast Pastor or your podcast pastor, right? So there's a definition is, is what we can take away from this as to who we need to be mindful that, that we're being accountable to to shepherd and to care for the souls. Mm-hmm. Um, and you church listening to this can make our job a joy by by being submissive to us as your pastors. And the, the understanding there is that we're pastoring and shepherding you in a biblical fashion in, in, in a way that is in keeping with God's word. We'll get to it eventually, but First Peter 5 has instructions for elders that uh, make it hopefully a joy for you to submit to the, the leadership and authority in the church if the elders are, are shepherding in accordance with what God calls us to and how we should be doing that. Um, and so that's, uh, that's yeah, like you were just saying, pray for your leaders. We need that prayer because this is a tall order and we, the two of us, uh, take this very seriously and, uh, and consider it a great joy,
1: but it's a weighty joy that we have to, to be able to shepherd the flock. To what degree do pastors have authority over the body of Christ? Because clearly there's authority being exercised. The congregation is called to obey and to submit to them. Um, Noteworthy is that it's leaders, plural. That's interesting. Um, So it's not just one leader at the helm. It's a a plurality of leadership, but it says obey and to submit to them. In what sense then do pastors have authority, do you think, over the body of Christ to say, I want you to do this and this and this? Mm -hmm. Clearly it's there. What kind of authority are you talking about? Yeah, I think
0: at, at maybe one level that's that's most obvious is in the on the the area of preaching, right? As as your pastor stands up and preaches on a weekly basis, there's a submission to his authority uh, as the one that's that's preaching the word there. That you're entrusting your care to him uh, week in and week out from the pulpit. That when he preaches and says, you know, this is what the text means, and here's some ways to apply that to your life, that you're going to. Say okay, yeah, I I, I want to do that. I want to. I understand that. I agree with that. I'm going to go do that.
1: So like when you made us keep the uh, offer, the, the uh, communion, the cup. communion cup, which is still in some people's cars, growing stuff in that little cup. Yep. That's gross. Yep. Uh, that that would be an element then where it's 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 a form of submission and obedience. Yeah, it,
0: yeah, exactly. It's something like that, right? And and then it, it it there are other elements too. I think what, for example, counseling office. I think there's an authority that the, the pastor has in a counseling office when a couple comes in for counseling or is seeking counseling that the the counselees in the church there would submit themselves to the authority of the pastor there. If the pastor is dealing with marriage counseling and saying, hey, I want you guys to memorize this passage and I want you to, to focus on these couple of things here before the next time that we get together and meet. I think there's submission to that element as well there. So, um, yeah, th- those are two that that, that come to mind. Um, there's a general submission to the authority of the pastors to trust their leadership of the church, the direction for the church, the, the, the guidance of the church we are, you mentioned pastors or leaders, plural. We're an elder led church. And so what that means is that you and I together, pastor Rod, are the elders of our church right now. And the decisions and directions and, and, and tone for the church, we're setting that for our church. And uh, we're doing that prayerfully. And we're doing that with even seeking counsel and guidance as well. But, uh,
1: but there's a submission to that that level of authority as well. I think this also pairs well with what he says earlier, versus, uh, set, well, verse 7, but also verse 8. Verse 7, remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Yeah, uh, There is the call, the, the authority of imitation. I don't know if that's even how you would present that. But the idea that we're called to live a life that is worthy of emulation. Ultimately, we're all following Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today and forever, but is his his leaders, those who uh, who run the ship as it were, are those who are supposed to most closely reflect him and identify him. And therefore, these are the people that you should say, okay, I'm willing to trust them, which I guess to to put to put it simply, you should attend a church where you respect the people that are at the helm. Right. If you don't, then you shouldn't be there, right? You should trust, respect and and feel a sense of I I can follow that guy's leadership. I can trust what he's saying. I can honor what he's saying. I trust his education. I trust his his life, his character. I trust the way that he does things. And if you don't, and of course there's always going to be things that people are going to say, "Well, I don't agree with that." I don't I don't like the way he said that, or I'm not I'm not a big fan of the way that he came about that. I think that's part of the the tacit agreement. Like I'm going to say things by God with a clear conscience. And that's also what he prays for too. He tells us, Hey, please pray for us to have a clear conscience and verse 18. But that's part of your job is to say things that most of us might say, Oh man, that, that hurt. And like we said that, or I'm upset, whatever it is. Our job as the congregation is to say, okay, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to let the spirit work with that sentence or with that, that sermon and let that wash over me and, and change me. God willing. Right. And your job is to have a clear conscience before God and to preach and to be faithful to what God says and to let the chips fall where they were. We're going to talk about that tomorrow during our sermon as well. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. Providential. Well, and, and that's that gets back to, and we've talked about it before, how do I decide what a good church is for me and my family? And you want to be largely, well, you know, do you want to be- good, good coffee? Yeah, What kind exactly. of donuts do they have? Exactly. H-E-B, all the way. <laughs> no, you want to be 100% in agreement on the, the first level issues, God, gospel, Bible, those things, there, there's no disagreement room there at all. And then this is why what we're talking about here, you want to be largely in agreement on all the second tier issues because- there may be areas of disagreement on those second tier issues where we can separate as as friends and believers, but hey, you know what? When following through on Hebrews thirteen, this this verse about submitting to your leaders, that's going to be hard if there's some key doctrinal disagreements there between you and them that continue to show up. And so, this is why it's important to be largely in agreement on those second tier issues, third tier issues. What is the pastor wearing behind the pulpit? What kind of coffee do they have? Things like that. Those are the things that we can die to. But it's those first two issues that are going to really make or break your ability to do this well uh, within the church body that you're part of. And, and we hope and pray that you're able to do that here at Compass. Look, guys, we, Pastor Ron and I feel the weight of, of this verse. This is not something that we're like, yes, we, we, that's talking about us. We get to do th-. mm-hmm. This is heavy. We feel it. And it's a privilege to, to do this and we want to do it well. And, uh, and thankfully we, we feel like you guys are, are doing a great job in this. We, we feel like you guys are, are, are excelling in this area and we're grateful. And so thank you, um, for making our job a, such a, a joy because it really is week in and week out such a joy to be with our church family and we love you guys and can't wait to see you again tomorrow at church. See you then.